Hello and welcome to the Love of Cinema, a Picture House podcast proudly supported by Kia, powering independent cinema. On today's mini episode, a special bonus episode, if you will, I sat down with writer and director, and so many other things, actually, if you look at his credits, uh, Mark Jenkin, the writer, director, composer, editor, uh, all sorts um, of, of work that he did on his new film, Ennis Main, which is in cinemas from the 13th of January. Mark has been very kindly touring uh, cinemas across the UK, including many picture house cinemas, uh, in a preview tour for two weeks straight after Christmas and New Year's, uh, meeting audiences, hosting Q&As, hosting previews, uh, just being generally brilliant. And whilst he was on the road uh, in, a, in a little hotel room in Edinburgh, he, uh, he, he spoke to me about Ennis Main. And, and I'm such a big fan of Mark's work. His first film was Bait, uh, which came out in 2019, which we also played uh, at Picture Cinemas. Well, I guess it was in cinemas in 2020. Anyway, it was, it was before the pandemic. Uh, so we talk a little about that and, and what it was like going from a very buzzy uh, first release into your second film, the big second film. And uh, I mean, for my money, Ennis Main does not disappoint. It's a sort of psychedelic, folk, surreal... I don't want to say horror, but maybe a little bit, <laughs> a little bit of, a, of of horror in there. But 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 so much more. It's um yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting film to watch on the big screen. I found it really absorbing, and and everybody I've spoken to has sort of taken different things away from the film, and uh, and that's that's the joy of seeing things at the cinema with a with a group of people. So do seek it out. Welcome to the Picture House Podcast, Mark Jenkin. Lovely to have you on the show. Thank you for the invite. It's lovely to be here. We uh, it's, it's, it's it's so great to have you back as well because a couple of years ago was I think it was slightly before the pandemic we had Bates your your debut film out in in cinemas and you know it played really well at Picture House and and you were very kind to come and do some Q and A's uh, with us and now you're back post pandemic new film Ennis Main and you're back on the road as well doing more Q and A's to support this new film. Yeah, it's great. I'm sort of I don't know halfway through I suppose. The... No, probably not even halfway through. I think I'm out for three weeks. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of lost track of what day it is and, and where I am. Having said that, I, I'm in Edinburgh at the moment and Glasgow tomorrow, then back to London on what what will be Friday for the for the release of the film. And it's it's really exciting just being out and seeing full houses and being back in packed cinemas. Aside from the fact it's it's my film, people are coming to watch. It's just really exciting to be in in busy cinemas because we we made the film at a time when we weren't even sure how many cinemas were going to reopen let alone be packed with people so i i know cinemas are in it's still in a bit of a precarious state with numbers and stuff i keep keep hearing that each cinema i go to but certainly for this tour it's just been fantastic to be in packed rooms i think it's events like this you know actually that that encourage audiences to come out it's what's the unique thing that cinemas can offer we can offer a communal viewing experience. We can offer, you know, talks, conversations, uh, experiences before and after that you don't get at home, unless you're being very generous and you're going to go to everyone's house who's streaming one of your films. <laughs> well, it does feel a little bit like that at the moment. Yeah. But but it's fun. I mean, I love all the people keep saying to me, I can't believe you're doing all of those dates, but it's such a it's such a privilege to, to do it, really. And we when I started out making films and I was in Cornwall, you know, me and my friends, we, we made short films and put them together on into short film programs. And then we would go out and, and take the films out to audiences. You know, it's a real tradition of 
uh, of like village hall screening, going out to an, with a projector and a screen and playing the films, and taking the work to the to the remote communities. And and I'm not doing that here. You know, I'm not carrying around a mini DV tape of short films with a projector and a screen. But it's it's kind of the same ethos, really. And it is especially after the last couple of weeks, couple of years that we've had. I haven't really been anywhere, so it's great. It's actually great to be out on the road. As long as I can remember where I am <laughs> when I stand up to introduce the film, then it's all it's all been going fine so far. Oh yes, it must be quite a nice payoff. I know when you're when you're busy you know, working on a film, it's quite an insular experience. You're working with, very closely with your collaborators, and you know the outside world might not get a, a sort of as big a look in. But it, you know, does is this quite a rewarding experience for you as a filmmaker? Actually, you know, introducing your film to real life, you know, paying customers like this. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, it's quite a solitary process, the way I work. The, the shoot is very collaborative. But then when it comes to post-production, which is the, the majority of the time spent on a film, I do, because I take on quite a lot of the roles myself, that's quite a solitary process. So coming out of the end of that with a finished film and then taking it out to audiences is is really overwhelming, really. And, it, and it's lovely because you, you, know, you introduce the film and then... People watch the film, then you go in and you do it, do a Q and A, which is great. But what's what's really nice is is sort of the people who hang around afterwards and and, and want to chat. You know, people, a lot of people don't feel confident enough to stick their hand up in a Q and A and chat. So me, meeting the audience afterwards is is really great. And and the people who who don't like the film tend to like they don't hang around. So I, I only meet the ones who are really positive. <laughs> <laughs> so far i don't you know I don't, I don't want to encourage that but you know you it's it's just been really encouraging it sort of validates what i do and and certainly makes it worthwhile absolutely i i love seeing like audiences you know and and i think in in the world we live in you can say this has had so many views online or so many people have clicked on this link but it like actually when you're in front of 200 people you know, like that, that is just unlike anything else. And, and I just love that, you know, everyone in a room together, uh, sort of feeling that, that we get at the cinema. Yeah. Yeah. And some of the rooms are, are, are quite intimidating because it did the tour, like you mentioned, in 2019. And, and because of what happened with Bait and it all blowing up, I, I, I'd forgotten that the preview tour before it was released and it all kind of blew up was about, was about building the audience. So, I was going to cinemas and and was in like, you know, screen two, three or four, and they were half full and it was great. And, but that was about building the audience. And now I'm going back to those same venues, but now I'm in screen one or screen two and it's sold out. So that's, yeah, it's kind of, it's quite nerve wracking. Yeah, oh, that's, um, that's fantastic though. Like, what a what a great story, you know. In you know, people are obviously following your your work since bait, however they saw it, and and now they're coming out for the new one. Yeah, and so many people that I meet tell me that they were they were there for bait in in twenty nineteen at, at these preview screenings. I was chatting to people in Newcastle last night who who had been there in twenty nineteen and been been waiting for last night to to be able to come and see another another preview. And thankfully they. They seem to love the film as much as they did bait. So that's um that's quite joyous and a relief. Yes, yeah, <laughs> totally. 
I think maybe you know time was very strange during the pandemic, but I remember Bait coming out so so well. It feels so recent, so it was kind of a nice surprise when I saw the new film. Uh, Ennis Main was on the calendar, like oh, already we got a new Mark Jenkins. But of course, we've had actually two very long years uh, in between, which I'm I'm trying to block out. But I wonder for you, like Bait had sort of quite this long tail with its release because it was being celebrated. There were awards conversations and all that sort of stuff. When did you get a chance to actually sit down and start work on a new film? Well, um, there's always a there's always a um, a period of time after you finish the film and before it premieres, which at the time seems like an excruciatingly long period of time. So I'd I'd written this film. I think I think I'd written it before Bait came out. Certainly the first draft of it, and then I think the momentum that built up built up with with Bait meant that we went into development and early pre-production on this quite quickly. So at the end of 2019, after Bait had come out, once I did that initial press and was back home, myself and Denzel Monk, the producer, began working on it. And then into the new year, but and then we had the BAFTAs in February, which gave the film another, gave Bait another lease of life. And that was another sort of shot in the arm for for our development of Ennis Main. But then obviously it just it just went off a cliff when when we went when the pandemic showed up and we and we went into lockdown. So it was quite a strange period of time. You know, we had all of the momentum and and we were yeah and we were just sort of pulled. We were we were shut down like like everybody else, you know, really inevitably. And at the time it was a little bit like, ah, oh, you know, a bit of a bit i was gonna say it's a bit irritating it wasn't irritating at all actually because there was a global pandemic so it's, it was the last thing that i wanted to do was to to make a film but i think with a bit of time and a bit of distance i realized how lucky we'd been with the timing because we'd been shut down when everything was in place all the finance was in place everything had been sort of agreed and and signed so the film's definitely going to happen but we hadn't started spending money we hadn't started shooting and so many projects just went away that were in development i think who um you know hadn't got to sort of finalizing deals and those projects fell away and other people were shut down while they were shooting which is kind of catastrophic really and then other people who had finished their films had their world premieres cancelled you know i knew people who had films at south by southwest in in 2020 that you know that was the that would have been the biggest moment of their careers if not lives and then that all went away so i was really i became very aware how lucky we were with the timing and and also with bait as well because we did the we, the baftas were at the beginning of february and then that put the film back onto screens for a little while and it was it was i think it just finally come down from the final screen before the cinemas shut so it was like we had our we had our long tail and who's to say we you know we might have had more but we certainly it felt like we'd rinsed everything out of our cinematic run just before the pandemic came along so it was you know it was all it, the world went very strange and time went very strange but I, I do appreciate how lucky we were with with the timing both for bait and for for Ennis Main. yeah thankfully it went on sort of pause i suppose rather than being cancelled or you know like the momentum being stopped it's just yeah, must yeah, be a, yeah. <laughs> it was really helpful, I think, because the one thing that isn't baked into the filmmaking process is 
a period of time where you can get some distance from what you're doing. You know, it's, it's, it's such a rush. Well, it's not a rush, but it's sort of relentless. You know, once you're into development, that's that then goes straight into pre-production, straight from pre-production, you go into shooting, straight from shooting, you go into the edit, and then straight from the edit, you you lock the you lock the film, finish the film, and then you desperate for a sort of premiere and desperate to get it out. And then I think the, the distance comes in years later where you look back and go, all right, that was what that film was about. You know, even as a even as somebody who's made the film, you have that distance later on. So to have a forced bit of distance, I think really helped. I had that on bait. We had forced enforced distance during the writing of it because nobody was interested in it. So I kept kept putting it down and working on other stuff and then picking it up a year later and thinking, oh, that, this would be better if it was blah, 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 you know, and rewriting with that distance. And and so the same happened with Venice, Maine. I, when we were when we were put on pause, I put the script away for six months and worked on something else. Didn't even really think about it mm. until we were given the go ahead or we, it sort of became apparent that we were going to be able to film in spring 2021. I then picked it up and it was six months since I'd looked at it and I did a rewrite that was probably the most joyous rewrite I've any, ever done on anything because because for one there was all these new limitations that we had to work within because of COVID and I love those limitations and also I hadn't looked at it for six months so mm. I had that distance that's sort of priceless but you'd never factor that into a, a development process you'd never say right we're going to write the script and then we're going to go into development then we're going to stop for six months not even mention the project and then pick it up again but thanks to the awful events that happened that became part of our process let's go somewhere new see worlds we've never seen before so that we can feel inspired whether you're sitting in a cinema or in one of our cars inspiration comes when we feel something new that's why our electrified range is designed to take you on inspiring journeys. Kia, proud supporter of independent cinema. Kia, movement that inspires. Well, what sort of things um, changed during that time when you picked it up again uh, six months later? Did you? Is there anything in the film we see now that wasn't in there originally? Yeah, and some things that I wasn't aware of at the time. So, so some things that are obvious, like we, I had scenes that had lots of extras in. There was a... There was a scene with like two to three hundred extras. Oh wow! Which is the scene with the preacher when he sings. Um, that was going to be in a huge old Methodist chapel in the far west of Cornwall. Two to two to three hundred extras, all in a big sort of musical number, effectively. And then, but we had to that had to go from two to three hundred extras to zero extras, which then meant that we changed the location which then meant we changed the whole staging of the film and it became a completely different, uh, the staging of the scene, and it became a completely different scene. And, so it, and there, were, there were a few instances of that, you know, just my thinking of how to block scenes so that extras weren't next to each other and all of that sort of stuff. And I, I love those limitations. I love that problem-solving element. I think now watching the film and reading people's thoughts about the film and speaking to people about the film, I realised that a lot more from the pandemic went into the screenplay when I was rewriting it, which I didn't realise at the time, but now mm. realise that it's in there. You know, like the real 
emphasis on the importance of routine and what happens when routine begins to break down because that was certainly in in my house and my family none, none of us were were going out to work so we had a strict daily routine that was that made sense of our existence for that very strange period of time and at moments where that routine broke down it became quite disconcerting and, and i've realized now looking at the film how how key the routine of the protagonist of the film is to her sort of state of mind and i, I think that that was always in the script but i think it became more of a, of a centerpiece following the experience of, of going through a lockdown and relying on that routine absolutely that's uh yeah no it's um it, the film does feel sort of familiar in, in in that way when I when I was watching it. But, but again, that's that's a distance thing as well. It's that only now that I've finished the film, and people are telling me what they think it's about, which is another form of distancing from the film. That I, that I can see that. So it's just really emphasised for, for me the the importance of of getting a bit of distance on on work. No, I think that's really yeah. That that sounds you know. It sounds a little, could, like it could be a little bit scary for some people, but it sounds like it's quite a healthy thing to do and, and great that you've embraced it with this one. Yeah. Yeah. I think you have, I think you have to be forced to do it. Not something you would choose, you would choose to do because it seems so counterintuitive, but if, if the world conspires to force it upon you, I think that the work that you produce is probably all the better for it. Did, um, did things like casting change or did you manage to keep your cast sort of from the initial pre-production into, into going into production? Because you get, you know, there's, there's some great performances in there, particularly Mary Woodvine. Uh, I sort of wonder, I can't imagine the film without her really. No, and it, it was weird because um, Mary's my partner and um, I really wrote the script with her in mind, but became very aware that I could be accused of being a bit insular, inward looking, a bit nepotistic to cast my partner in the film, but I really was written for her. But I was so aware of that, that for about a year, we went around the houses with the casting and I thought about casting somebody else. And at times Mary was even suggesting her, some of her peers as potential to potentially star in the film. And she was almost like a casting director for the film at times. And then in the end, I just sort of, it, accepted or admitted to myself that the film was written for her and I couldn't imagine anybody else doing it and I, I remember saying to Matthew my agent and, and Denzel the producer saying I, I think I want Mary to to play play the lead and mm. um and they were both sort of like oh at last <laughs> at last you know the obvious decision has has finally been made you know it was only yeah and I certainly can't imagine the film without her and I think the truth is when I was developing it I could never imagine the film being anybody other than her because I because like I say I'd written it for her and in terms of the other casting I really wanted to keep it within within the company we mm. we, we made the film at the same scale in the same way with the same crew so it became certainly once Mary had been cast it seemed obvious to to go to Ed who plays Martin in Bait the lead to to bring him in in the supporting role and it's and again i sort of was a bit wary of that and wondered whether i you know it was a i was i was too comfortable in my comfort zone but then i thought it was i just had to go with my gut and my gut was to say, was saying ed and mary would be great together in the film 
and then yeah i suppose the only the only person i was a bit unsure about was was john woodbine who's mary's dad but you know obviously a, a very well-known actor and that was a, that was a little bit touch and go just because of all of the covid restrictions and he's a man in his 90s hmm. and we we made the film while we were still in lockdown so obviously the covid numbers were very high but the, the people were just beginning to be vaccinated and he, he'd had his he'd had his jabs and his immunity is, was as high as it was possibly going to be so actually he was probably the safest person on set but we did we did switch the schedule around so that he, he was going to be we were going to do his scenes right at the beginning of the shoot and we moved him to the end of the shoot so that his he could have his second jab and his immunity could um could be at his highest but I don't, I, there were no other compromises made i don't think with the casting we, i got everybody i i wanted flo crow is the is the younger actor i i can't remember exactly when i cast her but um quite late on i think but that that was a that was a a, a role that i i hadn't cast i hadn't i hadn't really thought about massively and then flow was suggested to me and w and we cast we cast her she was fantastic so good to work with that's amazing um yeah i think it, it, everyone feels like a natural fit uh, there and what i love about mary is like she doesn't there's not a lot of dialogue in the film but we we she's so engaging to watch like i i love following that character and you know whether it's sort of pottering around the house or you know sort of leaning into more of the sort of supernatural element you know you're, you're sort of totally with her and she's so expressive with her body language with her face and you know it's it's a it's a really like it's a really rich performance i think i i think she's wonderful yeah well i think naturally you know she's naturally a very physical and comedic actor so she's very expressive verbally as well so it means when she's given material that doesn't have a, a great deal of dialogue there needs to be other ways of expressing what she'd normally express verbally. And I, I think, you know, having watched the film with audiences now and, and listened to audiences, I think, I think the real genius of that performance is the, the kind of ambivalence that she can communicate at times towards quite unsettling stimuli around her, which is quite ambiguous and I think quite, it's quite troubling to watch at times. I think that's great. You know, because I was really keen I was really keen that the film wasn't because it because it sort of pays homage to the the form of those 1970s kind of almost horror films those british kind of films i i didn't want it to to pay too much homage to the content which a lot of the time would be and not just british films but a lot of genre films of, of that era which would be which featured women being terrorized kind of hysterically running around in the dark in the nighty and i remember my friend um gweno saying to me when she read the script you know it's not she's not she's not going to be running around in the darkness being being chased with not many clothes on and and that was never it was never going to be like that but gweno's words were always sort of in my head a lot of the time that that statement when we were shooting and i was thinking you know gotta just there were times where I thought, oh, are we going too far here? I don't want her to. It's very important that she's not a victim within the film. There's times when she's being victimized, but it was really key that there was an ambiguity to how she was reacting to certain unnerving stimuli around her. And I just think she does it. She does it brilliantly. And like you say, you know, her face is so communicative and the eyes, the eyes do it all. You know, the eyes don't lie. So you get this 
you get this kind of confusion and, and at times ambivalence coming, mm. coming from her. She seems to take it all in her stride and, you know, some, some unusual stuff happens in this film yeah. uh, for her. But as a viewer, you're sort of like, oh, interesting. She's not acting like how people would normally act in this type of movie or this type of situation. And, and it does, yeah, I found that that's just really adds to the engagement because you're sort of always wondering, like, why, you know, what she'd been through. And, and obviously we, we sort of see as we, we sort of go along there. Also, like, the film looks wonderful. It's, it's shot in colour. If people have seen Bait, they'll remember the very iconic uh, black and white uh, film stock you used. Uh, you shoot this film in colour, but you also put a lot of colour on screen. And I think Mary's jacket, that red jacket, is, is, is now becoming iconic. Like, it, the poster really stands out. And, and watching the film, you can't take your eyes off it. Yeah, I keep getting, I keep getting sent photos that people are taking uh, of the poster on the London Underground. And I do think, I mean, you know, two things, really. That it, one is the... The costume that May Vug, who's one of the production designers, put together has become, you know, that's her work and it is an iconic, it, it has sort of become an iconic costume. Also, Dion Starr, who, who designed the poster, and which is a screen print. So I think that's got an added sort of stark element to those those primary colours. So, you know, um, credit credit to those two for creating that, that iconic imagery but i think you know i think you're right i think i'm and i'm glad you noticed that that when i when i did bait it was it was black and white and black and white's my starting point really and i have to sort of think does this justify being in color if i'm going to use color and and if so how are we going to use the color and with this one it was it was very much a decision that that was really to do with the narrative or um theme at the heart of it was kind of reliant on color not color coding or anything clever like that but you know i wanted there to be a sort of unsubtlety really in your face color palette because the form all over is is quite unsubtle so just have those primary colors really up front so we did we kind of said if we're going if we're going to do color we're going to do a hell of a lot of color you know there's no point going halfway with it let's just get it to the point where it's almost sort of blinding to look at at times like a lot of those genre movies from the 70s you know, that used color so well i think that really i mean yeah it's, it's it's so nice to see that and on that film stock you use you know we we don't see you know things like film grain so much anymore and and, and like you know every frame is quite interesting to watch for so many reasons but especially uh, for me as a bit of a film nerd because of the stock you you use and I know with Bates, you know, you're you're very involved in the processing uh, of the film and 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 how we actually get you know to a, a workable print. Is that the same with with Ennis Main? Were you still hand processing uh, the color film stock? No, this was lab processed, and I was very uh, I was a bit worried that with the lab processing that the the, the film stock would look too good. You know, I, the 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 sixteen millimeter stock that we shoot with now is is not the 16 millimeter film stock that they would have shot with in the 70s the, the grains finer you know in in many ways it's kind of higher higher quality i suppose but i wanted it to to feel like it was on the edge of falling apart as an image i, I don't want to reduce grain which is which is quite often the intention you know i want to i want to increase the texture at all times so although it was lab processed the camera that i use and the lenses that i use tend to really bring out the imperfections of the film stock and really bring out the 
the um the grain and you know the way that i load the camera means that there's light leaks all over the place so all those in, imperfections are all in there plus a lot of the time i was underexposing the neg a little bit so that i knew when we came to um sort of retime the color digitally later on in the in the color grade that once i started pushing it the grain would really pop out of the image which it which it really does i mean at at times maybe too much but most of the time we're 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 just on the right side of the line i think all right so it just sort of adds to you know the reason to go and see this film in the cinema because it does look so good on the big screen and 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 a bit of a treat i think for audiences to you know i, I spoke to um you know to, just going back to that grain i spoke to i heard an interview with ed lackman the cinematographer and when he he wanted he was going to shoot carol on 35 millimeter and then did some camera did some stop tests and he hadn't shot film for a little while and he just felt that the 35 millimeter was too clean the, the grain was too fine so he that's why they shot carol on 16 millimeter because he thought if we're going to have film he wanted film grain and i'd always had that in my head you know just if led if ed lackman's saying that then you know that's kind of what I think, and I, I and I had somebody like him to sort of to quote. And then when we were in New York for the American premiere, he he saw the film, and I had dinner with him oh, wow. after the screening, and it was great because without me telling him that story, he said to me, "Oh, it just looks so great." He said, "All oh, the grain and the color," and I was like, "I was like, oh man, I've been quoting you for." you know, like five or six years, and now you're here, and I can tell you this." story which was yeah it was great oh that's cool it's so nice when you actually get to meet you know people like that who've influenced your your work what a what a cool thing to do <laughs> yeah yeah it was magic i couldn't really believe it and i wanted to ask him so many questions but he, all he wanted to do was talk about ennis main <laughs> so next time, next I didn't time. yeah i didn't <laughs> ask him anything <laughs> he will have to go to the premiere of his next film and uh yeah get that dinner in <laughs> yeah well I, I, we've already said I'm, we're gonna we're gonna hook up again when i go back over there for the american release of, of the film and hopefully i'll get to pick his brains about stuff oh fab well um i shouldn't keep you uh too long mark because you're about to go uh, to one of our cinemas to the cameo in edinburgh for q a but really proud that we can play in this main and, and really pleased that you're able to uh, to come to so many cinemas uh, to meet customers but um but the film is out on on friday the 13th and uh, and it's really about word of mouth so anyone listening to this you know if it sounds interesting go to the cinema if you go to a q a tell your friends post on social media and uh, and i think that's what happened with bait you know just really good word of mouth and i'd love to see that carry on with ennis main yeah i think we had it you know we had the bfi had a certain amount of marketing budget which they they used brilliantly and we had some amazing reviews and that all helped but it was that sort of word of mouth that, that made the film such a success so yeah i mean hopefully we can we can repeat that i don't you know i can't i can't be um an overnight breakout success twice so it's a, it's a, it's a different kind of situation we're in now but yeah hopefully with people returning to cinemas they'll, they'll see the film and they'll, and they'll tell people about it and, and thank you for and, and picture house for all the support it's been it's been such a such a joy and such a pleasure to to tour your cinemas and i can't wait to be back in in london on friday for the for the opening night
Absolutely. This is going to go out quite close to the event, but we've just uh, announced that Stuart Lee will be hosting the Q&A at Hackney Picture House as well. So uh, if you're listening to this on Saturday, the 14th of January, <laughs> do check out the nine o'clock show of uh, Ennis Main at Hackney because we've got Stuart Lee. That's an amazing uh, get for a, a guest host. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's fantastic. I'm so glad he, um, yeah, I asked him and he said yes. And I, I'm very grateful. And and yeah, the screen's nine o'clock, so it's a late one. So if you are leave, if you are if you are listening to this on um, Saturday, there might there might still be time to get down there. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, um, it's always a pleasure, uh, Mark, and uh, hopefully I'll see you again very soon. And, and we can't wait to see what you're cooking up next as well. Film number three. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Thanks, boss. Cool. Cheers, Mark. Cheers. <laughs>